Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Our vision is to empower each person to know God, experience freedom, and discover their purpose to make a difference. Enjoy the message from this past Sunday. Well, good morning to all of you. Let me also say, happy Resurrection Day. What a day this is. This is the day of all days. It's like our Super Bowl here today. So, uh, Welcome. What a great morning it's already been, and we are so glad to be here. We're so glad that you have joined us online, and uh, we just rejoice in what the Lord has done, and what a great, great day this is. So today, I want to go ahead and jump into this teaching. I'm very excited to bring it to you. I'm calling it Evidence for the Resurrection. And uh, so today, I want to really speak to three types of people, those who are followers of Jesus, Uh, Those who are followers of Jesus, I hope to give you something today to just strengthen your faith. And then those today who uh, maybe are a little bit skeptical, maybe you're not quite sure about this whole thing about Jesus and and being a part of a faith. Well, if you're not sure, you know, in other words, today I want to give you something to really think about and hopefully just, you know, open your heart up more to the love of God. And for those who, you know, you believed one time, but maybe you've kind of strayed away Well, today, what I want to do is give you a real reason to return, real reason to return. So Easter really points us to questions that everyone must answer and ask and come up with an answer. The first question is this, who is Jesus? That's what Resurrection Day really got. Who is this Jesus? And then the second question is, did Jesus really raise from the dead? Did he do it, you know? And then the final question is, is there really any evidence that the resurrection actually happened? Not only from the scriptures, but other evidences. That's what we're going to talk about today. So did Jesus raise from the dead? You know, this question was asked to a professor. He was a a professor of philosophy at the uh, London University. He was a professor. His name was C.E.M. Jode, and he was not a believer. He didn't profess the faith of any sort, but he was asked on a radio program one day. He said, you know, they asked him this question. If you could meet one person in all of history, who would that be? And then the second thing, what, what would you ask him? What question would you ask a, a, an individual in history? And without hesitating, this professor said, I would want to meet Jesus Christ and I would ask him, did you raise from the dead? Because if he raised from the dead, that changes everything. And you know what? That's exactly right. If Jesus raised from the dead, and obviously we believe he did, it changes everything. Now, for people who are followers of Christ, you know, how important is the resurrection? Well, there's a scripture, and this scripture is very important. It was written to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church. And what it is, it says is this. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's how important it is, the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, there is no foundation to the Christian faith. And everything that Jesus said really doesn't count for much because the resurrection is such an essential part. Because I want to let you know that people who believe in him and believe in the resurrection, our faith is not really built on a building or a type of religion or a book even. No, our faith is based on an event 
a single event that happened, and that event was the resurrection. Now, if all that is true, and obviously we believe it is, then is there any evidence to the resurrection? In other words, something that's so important, there must be proofs towards the resurrection. So I want to give you those uh, proofs today, five proofs of the resurrection. And believe me, I could give you a whole lot more, but I'm just going to give you five. Let's go ahead and get started with it. Evidence for the resurrection, number one, is eyewitness accounts. Eyewitnesses accounts. An event like this had to have eyewitnesses if it's going to be true. So let's start with someone who listed many of those who actually had seen the risen Lord. And uh, this was written by a man by the name of Paul, and he wrote a letter to Corinth. And in his letter, and again, this letter was written in 50 AD. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead around 30, 32, 33 AD. So here's what is he said in 1 Corinthians. He said this. This is Paul writing to the Corinth church. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What is he saying there? He's saying this is the most important thing there ever can be. And then he goes on to say that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried, and then he rose on the third day. He lists three things. Christ died, he was buried, but then he raised up again. He raised on the third day. And then it goes on to say this. From that point on, he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Now, I find that fascinating that he, he actually lists Peter individually. Let's talk about Peter. It's, it's so interesting that he said that. Because Peter, this is the same man, the same man who in the Garden of Gethsemane told the Lord, others may deny you, this one may deny you, that one may deny you, but I will never deny you. And then what happened is, if you know the story, after Jesus was arrested, he went up these stairs that you're looking at right now. These are the actual stairs that they took Jesus up to face the high priest, Caiaphas. And they took him up these stairs and Peter followed at a distance, much like the view that you see. And at the top of the courtyard that you see right here, Jesus was brought before Caiaphas, the high priest. And then three times Peter was asked, do you know him? And he said, I do not know this Jesus. I do not know him. Three times he denied the Lord. So we have to begin to ask the question, what happened to Peter after that? Because when Peter, Peter knew that Jesus had been killed and he'd been put in a tomb, but something radically changed Peter's life. And what radically changed Peter's life is he saw Jesus had been risen from the dead. I'm so excited about it. He saw Jesus. And when Peter saw the risen Lord, this man who was so scared that he would deny the Lord in this courtyard, he then, what did he do just some 40 days later? He went into the temple courts and he began to preach boldly to all that were there that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had died and that he rose again. Again. And then it goes on, the, the scripture says, and then he showed up to the 12. Who were these followers of Jesus? Who were these 12? Okay, and again, these are 
eyewitnesses. And why do we believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because there were eyewitnesses. I want to tell you about a man named Matthew. He was born in Judea, and he was a tax collector in this place called, um, this place called Capernaum. He was a, a follower of Jesus, okay? And so what what happened after that? I want to tell you about a man by the name of Mark. He was a Greek man, and um, he wrote an eyewitness account of what happened when Jesus died, when he was on trial, and when he rose from the dead. I want to tell you about a man by the name of Luke. He was a doctor, and he wrote such incredible testimony in great detail. He's a historian's dream. He wrote now, such great detail about the events of that day. And I finally, I want to tell you about a man named John. John was one of the 12. He was like Jesus' closest ally. He was there when Jesus died, and he saw the risen Lord. Now, these individuals, what did they do? As I've said before, they wrote in great detail all of the things that happened in Jesus' life when he, was, when he was arrested, when he was tried, and then when he was put into a tomb, they wrote in great detail. And these documents were all joined together, and they become something called the Gospels. They become part of the Bible. And so Jesus' teaching, let me just say this about all that they wrote. Jesus did some amazing teachings but it didn't really cause these people to follow Jesus no matter what. Jesus did many miracles, and that didn't really cause these people to follow him no matter what, these 12 men. But when Jesus rose from the dead, when they saw the risen Lord, they changed, it, it did change everything, and they followed him with all their heart and all their life. Now let's look again at the scripture here in verse 6 that was written. It, Paul goes on to say, again, this is a letter to Corinth. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most who are still living. What Paul is saying, he goes, he appeared to the, to the twelve. He appeared to Peter, but not only that, he, Jesus, had appeared to 500 people in Jerusalem. What he's saying to the Corinth church, the Corinthians there, check me on it. There were people alive who actually saw what? The, the Lord. And they can give testimony to it as well. And then in verse 7, it says this, then he appeared to James. There he appeared to James. Now, who was James? This is my favorite one. James was Jesus' brother. He was like a blood brother to Jesus. And at first, when, when Jesus came on the scene and he, you know, he was claiming to be the Messiah, James was a bit skeptical. You know, he, he was like having a hard time with it because you know, it is his brother and everything. But let me tell you, when you and if you can convince your own brother that you are the Messiah. Believe me, you're the Messiah. I mean, I have a brother, and I hope he's watching right now, but let me tell you, for sure, he's not God, and he's not the Messiah, and that is an understatement. Now, I'm gonna probably get in trouble for that, but anyway, he knows it. I know it. It's really hard to convince your own brother. So what happened in James' life? Well, what it says is that James... This, the brother of the Lord, he was actually stoned to death. And he was stoned to death testifying that his brother Jesus was 
the Messiah and that he had risen from the dead. Now, what did these individuals do? What did they write about when it comes to looking at the life of Jesus and more importantly, the resurrection of Jesus? These four individuals that I spoke of earlier, again, they wrote about when Jesus was arrested. And what did they say? They said they gave us great detail that provides for us overwhelming evidence. Here's the overwhelming evidence that they spoke of. They spoke of someone by the name of Pontius Pilate. And what the high priest asked Pontius Pilate to do was to put a stone in front of the tomb because there was a rumor that someone might steal the body. And then they took a cord, a Roman cord to really seal the tomb. That seal meant that anyone who broke it would be guilty of, of and, and would be put to death immediately. And then Pontius Pilate, uh, the, the real ruler there in the area for the Romans, he put a guard in front of the tomb. This guard had many, many different individuals and, uh, of soldiers who were supposed to guard the tomb. Now, the morning of the resurrection something amazing happened that I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about this. Um, one of the things that all of the writers uh, in the Gospels wrote about was the stone, the stone that had been rolled away. Let me tell you about it right now because it's so amazing. This, this stone, Matthew wrote, and he used the Greek word kulio, which means roll away. Matthew wrote that the stone had been rolled away. Mark wrote that the stone was extremely large. Mark also went and used a preposition when he talks about rolling the stone away. It is the preposition Anna Coolio. It means that the stone was not only rolled away, it was rolled up. Now, not only that, Luke, who was the doctor, he wrote Apa Coolio, the preposition Apo, which means the stone was greatly separated from the entrance of the tomb. And then finally, John, Jesus' friend, he wrote about the stone. He wrote about the stone that it was actually picked up and carried away. This massive stone could not hold Jesus in the grave because the power of the resurrection, the resurrection Messiah came and blew that stone off. And all of the writers wrote about it. The stone, they kept talking about the stone. So that brings me to the second evidence I want to bring to you today, and it's called biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy. Now, it's actually said that there are over 300 messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Let me just speak a few of them to you. These are things that were written in the Old Testament, but were explained in great detail by the writers I just told you about. It is amazing how many of the prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Let me just give you a few. In Micah 5, 2, it is said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In Zechariah 9, 9, it says that the Messiah will come riding in on a donkey. Jesus fulfilled these perfectly. In Isaiah 53, the Messiah would be betrayed he would be arrested, he would be spit upon, and he would be scourged. This was written some a thousand years before Jesus. But according to the accounts that I was just talking about, Jesus fulfilled 
every one of these. It's impossible except it's, except it is true. Only the truth could be able to fulfill that many prophecies. And then in Isaiah 53, it spoke that three days later, after he would be put to death, this is written in the Old Testament, he would come back to life. And then the final one I want to tell you about is in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a vivid description of how the Messiah will be uh, executed and killed, but again, will come back to life. This is a vivid description of crucifixion. Uh, King David wrote this a thousand years before Jesus even appeared on the, appeared on the scene. And in, in Psalm 22, again, crucifixion had not even been invented at that time. He speaks of how his hands will be pierced, his feet will be pierced. It talks about how people gloat and stare at him like he's on a cross. And it even goes on to say, they will divide my garments among them. I tell you, it's amazing the evidence of the crucifixion and more importantly, the resurrection. So now as we think about this and we talk about the evidence, we have to ask the question, what about people who just don't believe in the narrative, don't believe in the gospel writings, don't believe in the Bible? Is there any evidence? Well, I'm glad you, you asked that. And I hope, I hope you did ask that. The third thing would be archaeological finds or just basically archaeology. You know, all of the Gospels mention this Roman procreator named Pontius Pilate. He is the central figure in the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. He's mentioned in the Gospels numerous times. And, um, you know, but outside the biblical count, up until 1961, there was no evidence that Pontius Pilate ever even existed ever it ever existed. That's until in 1961, an Italian research team went to Caesarea in the theater of Caesarea. I've actually been to this place and stood right where the stone was found. And what they saw was this. What you're looking at now is called the Pilate Stone. The Pilate Stone, and it's, a, it's attributed to Pontius Pilate. Let me read to you what it says. To the divine Augusta Tiberium, Pontius Pilate, perfect of Judea. The date of this stone, amazingly, is uh, A.D. 26 to A.D. 36, the exact time when Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead, just like the eyewitnesses stated. Again, amazing. So, is there any archaeological proof that the Romans actually did use crucifixion in Jerusalem. So what evidence do we have? Well, I want to show you another video. This is a video of an ossuary, an ossuary where a man named Jonathan was crucified. He was a young 22-year-old man who was crucified. This dates back to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and it's the only proof that the Romans did indeed any archaeological proof, use crucifixion as a way of execution. You're seeing here a nail that is, went through a heel bone. They recovered this heel bone. And you also notice the nail is bent. This was an individual by the name of Jonathan who was crucified. The nail is bent because they believe that when they put it through his foot and through his bone, it hit a rock and it bent. So 
Again, proving the method of execution. I want to show you another amazing archaeological find. What you're looking at now is called the Nazareth Decree. It's another overwhelming proof that the gospel writers wrote so accurately. This is the Nazareth Decree, and it was um, issued by the Roman Emperor Claudius in A.D. 41, just 10 years after Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. There's so much I could tell you about this. I, I just want to kind of just really go down to just four major points. What was on that decree? That decree stated the following, that anyone who stole a corpse from a tomb would be persecuted. Now, let's ask the question, why would Caesar, why would Claudius write 10 years after Jesus rose from the dead this particular thing. I believe because there was an uprising going on of Christianity and Christians were coming into the faith and telling people about Jesus had been risen from the dead. Not only did it say that a, a stealing of a corpse was, was something that was legal, but a stone sealed tomb, anyone who bothered it and anyone who upset it in any way would be prosecuted. And not only that, it goes on to say the, the extreme punishment, anyone who did such a thing would be put to death. And then the other thing that's amazing about this particular uh, Nazareth decree is the location. The location is Jesus' hometown. I ask you a question. Why in the world would Caesar Claudius, why would he write a Nazareth decree and put it in Jesus' hometown, mentioning the four important things about the stone, about the, the, the lie that someone stole the body, because he was trying to bring forth a law. The only plausible explanation, he was trying to bring forth a law to squash Christianity and all that was going on. Again, an amazing, amazing uh, evidence to the to the resurrection of Jesus. So this brings us to the next one, the next evidence to the resurrection. This is number four, the testimony of historians and the testimony of scholars. Um, I want to tell you about a man named Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He was born in AD 37, just right around the time of Jesus. He served as a Pharisee at age 19. He, he served the commander Vespian as, the, um, as a court historian. I want to show you what a, a Jewish historian wrote about Jesus. I read it to you as you see it here. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. When Pilate, remember Pontius Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned and be crucified on the third day, he appeared, look at this, on the third day he appeared to them restored to life. There we have a historian, a Jewish historian, actually claiming that Pilate had crucified him, but that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to show you another one. This one is from the historian Tactus. This Tactus, is the, he is known as the greatest historian in all of ancient Rome. He wrote uh, this particular uh, thing I'm getting ready to read to you in AD 96. Again, just 
you know, right within the close to the time frame of Jesus. And here's what he wrote. Let me just read it to you right here. Nero inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class of hated, hated people uh, for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christos, that means Christ. Christos suffered extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. Okay, we can verify that through history and through the scripture. At the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate. We have another historian who's not a believer completely validating the eyewitness accounts. And then he goes on to say this, and a most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment broke out again. What was that mischievous superstition? Again, the only plausible explanation was that Jesus had risen from the dead, but it was not a superstition. It was real. It was real. I, I want to tell you about a scholar by the name of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. And this is absolutely my favorite one I want to read to you. Um, Dr. Greenleaf, who was he? He helped the Harvard Law School gain widespread credibility. He wrote a three-volume masterpiece. And this three-volume masterpiece was a, treaty, a treatise on the law of evidence. This is still used and seen as the greatest single authority in the entire literature of legal procedure. The U.S. judicial system still refers to it uh, uh, in, in making their rulings. Dr. Greenleaf, he wondered... Is it possible that Jesus rose from the dead? And could it hold up in a court of law? And so focusing his brilliant mind and using and applying his rules of evidence in the case of Jesus' resurrection, the more that Dr. Greenleaf investigated the record of history and the more evidence he discovered supporting the claim that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead, he came to a conclusion. And the conclusion is this, that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. There was another individual by the name of Chief Justice, who was the Chief Justice of England. His name was Lord Darling. And he wrote about this after looking at Dr. Greenleaf's finding. He wrote the following, and you can see it here. There exists such overwhelming evidence, factual and circumstantial that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring into the verdict that the resurrection story is true. I tell you, that's good news. There is so much evidence that I could bring you today. These are scholars. These are individuals that looking at the evidence could only come to one conclusion, one logical conclusion. Jesus did raised from the dead. And by the way, that changes everything. It changes everything. The final point I want to bring to you is the fifth point. The fifth point is the many changed lives. The many changed lives. There have been more books written about Jesus than any other person. Over a hundred great universities, including Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, and even Duke University here in North Carolina were, were initially established to spread his teachings. Jesus taught that all people are created equal. It became the bedrock for, for uh, abolishing slavery, for getting rid of racism, and acknowledging the value of people. And then there's many of you. 
there's many of you. I have seen, I have seen the resurrection of Jesus change broken lives. I have personally seen uh, it change a man who was a Swiss mafia hitman. He had murdered uh, hundreds of people. He actually joined our team and traveled overseas with us to many different countries. This man, who was once a murderer, was changed by the resurrection of power of Jesus, so much so that he began to go out and proclaim that God is the only way to freedom and forgiveness. I've seen this resurrection power heal a young girl who was bulimic. She had been to three of the major uh, institutions to, to help her get over bulimia. One in Switzerland, one in England, and one here in the United States. Upon coming and receiving Jesus as her Savior and receiving the resurrection power, she was supernaturally healed of bulimia and is today has a beautiful family. I've seen it heal a heroin addict. I've seen it heal a girl who had been in the top institutions that America had to offer, some of the greatest rehabs that our nation had to offer. None of them could help her get off heroin. But when she encountered Jesus, when she brought Jesus into her life, it changed everything. And she was supernaturally healed from heroin addiction. She went on to Dallas Theological Seminary and is now becoming a counselor. I've seen Jesus touch people uh, and, and thousands of people in 34 years of ministry. I have seen him, the resurrection power in Romania. I've seen it in Poland. I've seen it in Nicaragua. I've seen it in Africa. And I've seen it here in the United States. I want to let you know that where I am standing today, I am an eyewitness to the power of the resurrection in Jesus. For those who believe in Jesus, we have a really good reason to continue to believe. There is overwhelming evidence. For those who are a bit skeptical today, I hope today you will open your heart to the glory of God, to, to the, the evidence that we've presented today. And to those today who have wandered away, maybe you've wandered away from the faith. I hope that today we've given you reason to return. There's no greater day to return than this day. And what does it mean for all the rest of us? This resurrection life is available to all, but you really must ask for it because God is so, God is so kind. He's so gentle. He won't force himself. But if you will open your heart today, this beautiful resurrection day. Let him resurrect your life. If you will open your heart today and just open your heart to him, he will come in and he will fill you with resurrection life. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead so desires right now to live in you. And if that's you today, right where you are, in your living room, in your car, on your phone, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to pray this simple prayer. I want you to pray it from your, from your head and your heart. Pray it, pray it from your heart and your head. Just repeat this prayer and just pray it to you and to the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to confess that I've sinned against you. And I'm so sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for my sin. Mm -hmm. 
and I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart, and I, I believe in my heart that He was raised from the dead. Come into my life right now, Lord Jesus. I give you my life, and thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Thank you for saving me. Well, I tell you, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. And what a beautiful risen Savior that we have. Again, the resurrection changed everything. And it'll change your life. And with that in mind, I, th I don't think there's a better way to really celebrate the risen Lord but by worshiping Him again. Let's just, right where you are in your living room on your phone, let's just again worship Him by singing this song together. God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To find out more about our ministry, visit hhcboone.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Harvest House Church Boone.